feel like Arun should say it today. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Seriously. What's going on? I feel like Arun. Arun, you want to you do, do the thing? <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, I'll take one. it. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad. I'll take it. This is The Higher Standard. We're the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. Welcome back to the show, everybody. That's Said Omar. That's Christopher Nahibi. That's Arun. Or I should say Nagibi. <laughs> yeah. Let's just not say last names. That's Said. That's Arun. And I'm Chris. There you go. That's much better that way, right? Yeah. We're the ethnic with the last names. It's complicated. It's a and bit you, much. You got three first names. I do. So. Well, before I get into any of the what the hell we're going to talk about today thing, Arun, how does it feel to be back in the actual studio? That feels good, man. I've been locked out of home for the last three weeks. You've been now? locked like, out of your home? Oh, sorry, That's locked like. in. <laughs> in, out, who cares? <laughs> yep. I you mean, know? yeah. I've been trapped at home for the last three weeks. My wife had COVID, then the baby had COVID, then my mother-in-law got COVID, I was the only one that did not get COVID, but because everyone else had COVID, I decided to stay at home. Or you're lying about what you have right now. I was, yeah, I was, yeah, exactly. I was telling Odun um, and his wife that, uh, hey man, it's 2023. It's no longer cool to get COVID, okay? Like, yeah. <laughs> stop. stop. Yeah, relax. Like, no one's going to feel bad for you now. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> you're not, you're not out doing cool stuff. Yeah. Although it's probably hard for Arun. He loves to get out of the house. That's the problem. I remember when people were catching COVID back in like 2020, 2021. They're like, damn, these guys. Living on the edge, dangerous. Yeah, can't believe they risked their life to get a donut, man. Fuck Remember that you. shit, <laughs> <laughs> man. That guy over there is touching the handrails. Look at this wow. guy. Wow, you went. You actually touched that black thing that goes around those escalators. Mm. Didn't wipe down the grocery cart. No, 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 no. I was wiping out grocery carts like a motherfucker. <laughs> and if I walked in, there wasn't like those antibacterial wipes ready yeah, to go. Came like, over. This place is so dirty. Can you Bro, believe the, it? The worst yeah. was yeah. when you're walking around the grocery store and you had a cough. Oh, yeah, you had to swallow your cough? Dude, I have a chronic throat clearing problem. Are you kidding me? Every time I was at the gym, people were like, oh, shit. <laughs> this guy. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Go that way. Yeah. People, people were pissed. Yeah, you've been, you, you, you've t- you tame it really well on the show. I actually tried something new today, and it oddly seems to be working. I'm very perplexed don't about it. Don't jinx it. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to jinx it. But What um, did you do? I, so it's not the peptides. I know it's what I, although today is my first day on peptides. So somebody in our office came in was like, hey. You're clearing your throat a lot. Like, <laughs> stop. St- fucking stop. Yeah. And I was like, I'm sorry. Yeah. And she was like, look, try peppermint. I'm like, I don't want those peppermint fucking, they have sugar in them. I don't want sugar. She's like, shut the fuck up and eat it. Take it. Okay. Wow. It's good for your throat. And at that point, I mean, what do you say? You say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and I did. And it oddly made me feel a little better. Almost like a cough drop? No, cough drops have never worked for me. But she said, peppermint's like a natural thing. It'll, it'll make your throat feel better. And I was like, yeah, bullshit. It worked. I I still coughed a little bit at the gym when I went today, but it wasn't anywhere near as bad as it had been the last couple of days, mm. which had been pretty bad. All right. But I naturally have ups and downs, so who knows? Shall we? Let's do it. All what right. are we getting into today? Not a whole lot. That, wow. Damn. Did you, you know you're supposed to <laughs> like hook people into the show, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's not a whole lot of articles this week, but we got we're gonna do some. Is there a non-clinically depressed version of you that you can bring into the show tonight? <laughs> yeah, like, should what, we just what? restart the show? What? Wow, we guys, I'm getting attacked. Both. This is why no, I'm that, we're just asking This is questions. why you want him back to attack me again. No, I, I actually With want him. With comments like that, I mean, I, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. I mean, we're just. Wait, what is this? We're four minutes into the show, and you're like, "Hey guys, uh, we don't have a lot to talk about." So, fuck. so uh, yeah, if you guys want to turn off your uh, your car now and <laughs> put your audio device to the we're side, do deep dives on the articles that we do have. Is that better? That did not really salvage a whole lot in my mind. <sighs> no, I mean, Arun is is um, again not wrong. 
there's a consistent theme here. Okay. And I actually do owe you a bit of an apology, Ruin. So there were a couple of things you suggested that I've now seen the light of day on. We're gonna we're gonna change up the way we do things on the YouTube channel slightly, um, largely because of Ruin's influence and some of the people we've been talking to as well. And uh, we're going to change a lot on the audio format of the syndicated show for all of your streaming platforms, your Apple Podcasts, your Spotify. We're going to get rid of that really annoying intro that you guys clearly are skipping. We are too, so it's not just you. Yeah, exactly. Um, the outro, we're probably going to skip. That includes a disclaimer. So uh, we'll hope the earlier show disclaimer applies going forward. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> let, let that disclaimer just apply to everything yeah. else. Everything prior to episode 161, that disclaimer still applies moving forward. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, jumping into the show, we got uh, actually a lot to talk about. Saeed's a liar. We're going to talk about financial influencer. I'm mm. using uh, air quotes and bunny ears here for those of you who can't see me. Grant Cardone doing what Grant Cardone does, which is lie, cheat, steal, and rob. This came out today. Huffington Post coming swinging. Man. And uh, I got to tell you, this particular journalist... Tom mm -hmm. Warren. Yeah. I love him. Stud. BuzzFeed News, but uh, apparently he was up for a lot of awards. I did a whole bunch, like background read on him. He's English. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's got a great background, and he, he approached this article with some pretty damn strong literary perspective. I mean, he, he came at this like, look, like, I'm doing this investigative journalistic style. Like, it was good. Right. Uh, you, it's a it's a longer read for like an article, but it's worth every every minute of the read. Right, he, I think he took he took a, a a nice approach, did a deep dive with integrity. Right, with integrity, which is not something that I can say we do a lot here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, integrity. That's not that's not our uh, strong suit. Yeah. Okay. Not our forte. Ours is the uh, lowbrow cheeky comedy. <laughs> We're talking about the Fed launching their long awaited instant payment service and what this could mean for you mm -hmm. and for people like, oh, I don't know, Venmo, PayPal, people who are trying to transfer money immediately. Well, this so, kind of right. says, mm, we don't need you anymore. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the end goal for them. That's for sure. There is a long thought belief that this is the Fed's first step into the crypto world, by the way. I was going to get into that once we get into the topics. See, I can read your mind. You knew what I was doing. I knew exactly what you were doing. We'll talk more about uh, the Fed launching their payment system in a couple different articles, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Then we will talk about 10 possible reasons why the recession may have not arrived so far. Mm -hmm. And then uh, if there's time, we'll talk about uh, Home Builder Sentiment. Yeah. To round out... The show, and we had some uh, personal things that happened this week, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit on the show as well, if there's time. We have to make sure we find time for that. Personal stuffs? I know exactly what you're hinting at. Do you? We have to. Personal stuffs makes you think of something. Yeah, personal okay. stuffs. Okay. All right, well. This, according to the Huffington Post, which hmm. is arguably one of the best articles I have read this year, financial influencer Grant Cardone says he can make you a billionaire. <laughs> His investors claim... He defrauded them. This is so wild. Say just, it ain't hey, so. Hey, just let's skip millionaire. I can make you a billionaire. If you're going to lie to people, go big with a lie. Yeah, that's what he does. I mean, is it is, is it only obvious to me that this man clearly idolizes the idea of the Wolf of Wall Street, even though he got into a pretty famous battle with uh, Jordan Belfort? Right. But um, he's got some mounting legal issues, and this particular article broke it down in such a fascinating way and I have I have uh, a couple of quotes from the article, which I'm going to read. So do I. Oh, do you? Yeah. You want to go first? You shall. No, I mean a lot of it is a little bit of a, some some backstories and some examples of his scumbaggery. Okay, well, so then I'll go right for the the jugular, and then you can backfill whatever you like. How about that? Okay. 
All right. Starting from the top. Maybe do we do a little background for those? I mean, I, w- I would hope people know who Grant Cardone is. I would hope they don't, no, actually. No, yeah. but uh, no, you, you would want them to know so that they could steer clear. Well, the article gives you uh, a pretty good background as to who he is and where he came from. That's actually what half this longer article talks about is kind yeah. of his origin story. Mm-hmm. Basically started off as a used car salesman. Uh, in the San Diego area, I'm skipping a lot of his childhood stuff, which the article gets into. Mm-hmm. Then he pivoted into, I guess he was like number. He, according to him, he was like one of the top used car salesmen in, in the country. I mean, questionable. Got fired from his job despite that, which are again questionable, right? Right. Said he was never going to be in some. His fortunes were never going to be in somebody else's hands again. Started his own company. He was training car salesmen. Then he was a coach. You know, all the stuff that I hate, masterminds, all that. Right. Selling. 2017, courses. he goes big. The, the Church of Scientology is very much wrapped in this, and there's a lot of stuff that was new to me in this article, which was fascinating. Yeah. And um, they kind of blow him wide open with some of the things that insiders of his company who have left have now admitted to witnessing and experiencing there, not to mention the fact that apparently Scientology is very intertwined with his business in and of itself that's just got a bad stigma to it, but... No judgment on anybody who's a Scientologist. You know, you put out con- good content, you do good things, no judgment. You do what Grant Cardone does, judgment. Not a right. good guy. You and, know? He, and he was using a lot of the same business practices that some other people that we've covered on the show, like Sam Bakeman Fried. Deceptive, manipulative, uh, disingenuous. There's a lot of words I can use to describe it. All that and using other people's celebrity to leverage themselves. Ooh, the celebrity pimp game. Yeah. That, that is the most aggravating part of it all because you know they know that people will rely on their endorsements and so here's the thing so i'm not one to to believe in that why is it that we give celebrities the credence of having some social integrity why do we assume that we know them because we've seen them in roles and if he she or they talk about this product i should buy into it i mean it's not just them i mean going back to those old like you know, AARP commercials and the, the celebrities coming off their end, tail end of their career. Right. You know, I'm so-and-so from Days of Your Life, and now I'm 80 years old, and I'm endorsing this product. And people from that generation where that person was a celebrity will still identify with this person and buy their product solely because they they have some connection to this person. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it, maybe it has something to do with people thinking that the celebrity or the celebrity's team has have done their research and have really, you know understood what this person's all about i mean he's had everyone from the likes of kevin hart snoop dogg donald trump tom brady which we know sam hickman fried actually did a video remember tom had that like selfie video camera on him and yeah, sbf yeah. And he was like I'm that here, was creepy i'm here with my boy and awkward Dude, tom brady will go after anyone with money <laughs> he, he, it's, it's really desperate arun go back to that article you brought up that that uh google search that was interesting so Arun, this is why i love having the studio why do people idolize celebrities he asked google and google responded there is a subconscious desire in the human race to idolize anything that seems better, greater, richer, well-known, or powerful. Yeah. There is a sense. tendency to worship anything that seems glamorous, fascinating, or powerful. And most people have an unconscious desire to be famous themselves and popular, even if they do not admit to it openly. Yeah. I think that's a very accurate description of what the, the mechanism is behind it. Right. I mean, it is almost like a, a subconscious human thing to attach to want to attach yourself to something bigger, right? Right. Which is which is why I always thought it was so noble of someone like 
Casey Neistat, right? Mm-hmm. That would get all these endorsement deals. And unless he vetted it out and tried it himself and truly believed in the product, he's like, no, I'm not pimping it out on my page. There's He kept some level of integrity. Yeah. And you, and the journalist who wrote this had a ton of integrity. You could tell right. he didn't mention sources. He he certainly identified when things were corroborated and when they weren't. Right. It was very, very, very well done. So I'm going to read some quotes from the article just to get everything started here. Huffington Post interviewed four former employees and reached out to current employees about the inner workings of Cardone Capital. Mm. For those of you who don't know, Cardone Capital is effectively a syndicator. They take both accredited and non-accredited investor funds. Accredited will be $100,000 or more as a minimum investment. And non-accredited will be generally as low as $1,000 per investor. So what crazy. he has done on at least one, or no, at least one example of an, instit- of, a, of, an in, of an investment structure, but it had like seven properties in it. He paid his accredited investors, those mm-hmm. bigger investors, out a little bit, but chose not to, unilaterally chose as the manager, which was in his, which was in his discretion, not to pay the smaller investors. Why? Mm-hmm. They're not going to sue. What are they going to do? They're going to complain about $1,000? They're going to complain yeah. about a couple thousand dollars? Right. That's but insane. even then, the accredited investors, you put in like 100000 or more, mm-hmm. he's talking about returns of 18 19 20% when he sells the property, including appreciation value. Mm-hmm. What they're really getting in, in most cases that I've seen is about 5% or maybe 4.5%. Right. Which anecdotally is less than a high-yield savings account would give you right now. Insane. I mean, there are syndication deals, right, where they do break up the investing members into class A and class B. Very common. Very, yeah. it's, it's very common. And, and those are certain are class A members getting paid out first before class B members? They can. It really depends on how the structure is. Generally, that is absolutely the case. Yes. And if there's any residual funds left, it pays right. the class B. But to, but to, you know, unilaterally just pick these people out, right? I well, I think honestly, in his case, to have non-accredited investors, you can pretty much guarantee most of those are coming from social media. Yeah, uh, and they're not sophisticated. The whole idea of having an accredited investor is that the assumption that the accredited investor who has more wealth has more of an understanding of the risks associated with an investment like this. Right. When and, a non-accredited investor investor would not. And it's well documented why he was going after you know some of these non-accredited investors through social media because they weren't savvy enough to look into the details. To figure out, yeah, they saw eighteen percent returns. They thought this is a great investment. They don't realize he has, in at least three of the funds that I've looked at, he has the ability to unilaterally choose when he's going to close the fund, means sell the fund, and give you that appreciation and value. There is no timeline he can do it in perpetuity, whenever the hell he wants. It's insanity. That's that. that that's the most shocking thing about his funds is he has complete and total control. Mm-hmm. And why anybody would ever agree to that? I don't, it, it is much more beyond. Anything I've ever seen anybody else's fund. Right. I mean, it is far. But the article continues. So in one interview, a former senior executive at Cardone Capital alleged they watched as staffers tried to destroy what they say was evidence of wrongdoing. Mm. They also provided documentation to support their allegations. And an internal financial document reviewed by the Huffington Post indicates Cardone has made $54 million dollars by marking up properties sold to his investors through his real estate fund. Grant Cardone and Cardone Capital did not respond to multiple requests for comment. No. What they're referring to is what Adam, I think his name is Adam Smith-Levin. Oh, yeah. He's a former Scientologist himself, was part of the Sea Org, and then ultimately now has been one of the biggest voices calling out criticism mm-hmm. uh, of Cardone. 
He said it was closer to $110 million on the funds that he looked at, but Huffington Post has journalistic standards, so they're saying, hey, this is all we could verify with what we got from documentation. Right. Either way, $54 million, $110 million is a lot of money. What and he's doing is he's buying the properties in his name, Yes. and he's turning around and selling them right. to, the, to the fund that you're investing in for 5 or $10 million more. And, and primarily targeting states where the— Sell uh, price is not public. Sell price is not public. Yeah. More scumbaggery. Scumbaggery. And the scumbaggery continues. This is my last quote from the article because I can go on with this really till the end of time. Mm -hmm. Now, social media sleuths and some of Cardone's investors are looking into the legitimacy of his real estate funds and various business partnerships mm -hmm. and are trying to hold him accountable. They allege that Cardone has pulled the wool over clients' eyes and trapped them into deals that only serve his interest. You don't say. Mm. Uh, Paul Pelletier. Oh. Who was the department of, is it, or Pelletier? Pelletier, the yeah. Department of Justice's most senior fraud prosecutor. Most senior fraud prosecutor during a 25-year career at the agency. This man knows fraud when he sees it. <laughs> most, the, the most senior. Yeah. Right. Who was the Department of Justice's most senior fraud prosecutor during a 25-year career at the agency. Yeah, that's strong. He knows what he's doing. Review the documents in the class action case against Cardone. It looks like his business is built on lies and deception that will likely collapse, leaving investors holding an empty bag, he said. Now, do you think he was trying to get hip with it? Like Empty bag? Yeah, fumble the bag? You fumbled the bag? I think he was going with the old school brown bag. Oh, like, okay. I don't think he, was, I don't think he knew he was so old that it was hip again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they cycled it yeah. back. Yeah, like yeah. you know how like, baggy pants are in again? Why? I, don't I, I I like it. Baggy pants, bro. I got thick thighs. I mean, okay, loose dude. loose is one thing, but like, not like not like Genko jeans and like that. I'm talking like, you know, like I want to have non skinny jeans. So, yeah, we no, already established. I was, ne I was never a my fan. knocks don't fit. <laughs> knots. Your knots, my knocks. <laughs> my knots yeah. don't fit. <laughs> yeah, your knots, my knocks. We established that on a prior episode, which you guys should go listen to because it was amazing. Right. So my man Cardone is getting called out, and I got to tell you, I, for one, there's lots of people out there who are very cynical on him, could not be happier that at least at least people are getting an education on what they should expect from a syndication because this is not it. Okay, so what should people get out of a syndication? Well, Full disclosure, full transparency to start. What, it, what does that look like? In, well, for example... You shouldn't be allowed to invest in something without having a full and thorough understanding of the risks relative to other funds. So you're, just, you're referring to being an accredited investor? Well, being an accredited investor is generally the best way for these people to go. If you're going downstream for $1,000 to investors, I would argue, as a syndicator, if I'm, my job is to keep all of you, my investors, mm -hmm. informed and up to date, mm -hmm. having you in for $1,000 is not economically viable for me. Right. It, it makes a lot more sense to have somebody with $100,000 or more who's got a material vested interest. More skin in the game. More skin in the game. And then it's, it's a lot less people versus 100,000, 1,000 people, $1,000 people. That's 100,000 more disclosures I got to send out versus one. Right. So it, it, it just doesn't make sense from just a logistics perspective in and of itself. Right. But that right there should be cause for concern and raise some red flags. Like, why, why aren't the savviest real estate investors? That know this space in this, and why am I, who only has a thousand dollars, being able to invest in this? Or you can compare it to a real estate investment trust, which is going to give you a lot of the same benefits. But right. fun fact, most people don't know: in 2012, a pretty significant law change from the SEC came down, 
and allowed this to really kind of permeate social media. Okay. They loosened the rules and the standards around what was considered a types of advertising as deceptive and non-deceptive. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, you've seen this rise of syndicators beyond just Cardone just kind of pop up everywhere on social media. Okay. And if you ever wonder why like they're not getting the hammer thrown at them like as, as, as badly as you, you think they should be or why they're just so prolific now, mm-hmm. it's because a lot of them went to Grant Cardone's 10X conference. And a lot of them are getting around what otherwise would be illegal in 2012 because the rules have been loosened. Wow. Yeah. Shocking, but true. Shall we jump? Let's do it. According to Reuters, Fed is set to launch long-awaited instant payment service, modernizing the system. This has been going around, and I didn't realize how long this has been like talked about. Long time. Well, long time. It's, it's already existed. It already exists in Europe right now. Right. Yeah, it does already exist in Europe right now, but they've been talking about launching this thing for the greater portion of like a year and a half, two years, mm-hmm. right? So basically what they did is they just launched their money transferring service instant payment um, you know, services between banks and between customer to customer, business to customer, business to business, and it's really just catching up with the 21st century, but there are some, I, I think, some concerns that people should really consider, you know, before implementing like once the funds get transferred they are not reversible so the argument is part part of what made the older system um so good is there was time to vet out any issues of fraud right and they it could funds could be reversed because most people had to balance and settle overnight at their local fed right or if you went to deposit a check sometimes it took several days for it to clear None of that anymore. It would clear instantaneously. Right. It would clear absolutely instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are, your, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I, like many people, believe this is the beginning of the end of cryptocurrency in some ways. And to give you an example as to why, the argument with cryptocurrency was that you could transfer funds immediately. right? And that it was decentralized, right? And it was decentralized. But now crypto enthusiasts are calling for regulation and centralization, Mm -hmm. which is, in fact, what our system allows for currency. Right. But paper currency or government-backed fiat, as we know it now, always had some challenging idiosyncrasies. Number one was the speed, Mm -hmm. right? Number two was, well, there's still this paper currency component. Right. When you think about it in the actual use of funds now— Right. I would venture to guess that 90% of people primarily use digital payments all the time anyway. It's true. It's true. So um, basically what you're alluding to, how, how this is going to work is, first, your bank has to be on the list that you know is adopting, is adopting this. And they're going to start with the larger banks first, and then they'll go downstream over time. So as of right now, JP Morgan and Wells are on the list. Shocker. Right, shocker. You know they've been consulted, but guess two of the other top four are not. Mm-hmm. City and B of A, yeah, not on the list yet, yeah, which which I found interesting. But I would imagine that they will ultimately adopt this. But Brian Moynihan's like, I'm gonna sit this out, let y'all figure this out. I don't really know that it makes a difference. I think some of them are so technologically invested in things like Zelle, mm-hmm. which do this already. Right. My question is, is what does this do for Zelle? What does this do for Venmo? What does this do for PayPal? What does it do for check cashing places? Right. Mm-hmm. Because hopefully that, or you know. It reduces the need for people to go there, and they can get their money, like, payroll quicker this way. So how from start to finish, the transaction would take no longer than 20 seconds as opposed to days, right? Someone getting their check, going to I mean, to 20 seconds is a long time for some of us. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? 
you know, it, it can feel like a long time. It can feel like a long time. 20 seconds? Nah. That ain't long enough. Wow. I, I guess your stamina and patience are greater than mine. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll do nothing. Nothing from you, huh? About what? Silence. This guy. <laughs> what are you talking about? Arun, did you, did you find anything wrong with what I just said? Staying quiet. Staying quiet, yeah. That's ha- also odd. Hashtag Team Chris. So, um... So yeah, it would take no longer than twenty seconds. Basically, how it works is you would you would set up the transfer, and it would get sent over to the Fed, and then they would it, they would check with the other institution, and they would clear both sides, and they would debit and credit the master account of the bank, mm-hmm. and then the bank would have to you know figure out what they want to do after the fact, right? Um, so that's why it would happen so quickly. Now the concerns that Chris was talking about is. A lot of people are saying that this could be like a Trojan horse that will lead to the eventual release of the U.S. dollar uh, CBDC, right? That's that that's a concern that you were referencing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea behind it is that it will first come to dominate the instant payment infrastructure like Venmo and Zelle. And once it kills the competition, it could force everybody into this and then ultimately lead everyone over to their, you know, digital currency. So there's a number of challenges there. Number one, this assumes Main Street, Main Street adoption, and by mm-hmm. Main Street, I mean the banks. Right. Then it assumes mainstream mm-hmm. adoption, and by mainstream, I mean the consumers. Right. I think so many people are already rooted in these existing instant payment, payment platforms. Yes. That unless those are taken away it's going to be hard for even the u.s government to get back market share Mm -hmm. they should have had years ago right uh that being said i don't know that you're gonna you're gonna really do away with cryptocurrency i know the theory's out there and that's speculation right but there are people who just do not believe in anything government-backed and they want they want to separate church and state right and you're going to start hearing a lot of rhetoric of well, now they're going to be able to monitor everything that you do and every dollar that you spend. And I don't get this fear. I don't understand this fear, especially when you... You think they don't know already? Right, especially when you look at the data. So the Federal Reserve currently processes a, a great portion of all wire transfers. Something uh, tells me you know that number. Over one quadrillion dollars last year. I just want a billion. <laughs> Listen, I don't That's think I've I ever used the word quadrillion. Oh, I use it all the time. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about my weight gain in recent weeks. Oh, oh sorry, maybe I was thinking maybe your black card. Um, oh, <laughs> we haven't had a reference. Is it a rune that brings the references back? Or <laughs> yeah, what that's, that's, that's what he messaged me sidebar. He's like, I let one go last episode. Dude, he missed a big one last episode. What was the big one last episode? Get upgraded to first you class, to and you Oklahoma. left your wife back in coach or business. Where'd you leave her? But that wasn't a black card thing. That, yeah, but he said could have. He said I could have. I could have thrown a jab, but I didn't. I chose the higher road. The higher standard. That's what I do. Exactly. <laughs> also, the Fed currently has something right now called the Fed ACH service, which processed $40 trillion last year. So, look, they're already intertwined. And with the Bank Secrecy Act that's passed, they have access to anything that they want already. So, Well, let's just get away from, from the dollar for a little bit. If you think that they don't have access to your information and you're already like, oh, my God. this is," They already have a hard line in the Google. They're already getting information from Instagram and Facebook. And trust me, more of your personal life is deciphered have, by social media than it is by hard, where you're spending money. I think they have a hard line into Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. It would not surprise me in the slightest. And, I mean, if they were telling Twitter what to post and not post during the COVID pandemic, which is now 
out there. Right. I mean, Elon Musk has put it out there. You don't think they're doing the same thing or anything else? And here's so here's my biggest complaint about I don't know if you use threads at all. I have not. Arona, you, have you been using threads? I've I haven't, not yet. Wow, really? That surprised me. As a marketing guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would think that you would be all in. Oh, uh, we're still at least for the company that I work at, we're still seeing how it's gonna turn out. There was something that came out last year. It ended up dying out like within six weeks. So we're just this guy. He waiting. sounds like he's dying out. He's you gonna. Do you sound like you're gonna die in six weeks. <laughs> you bro, sure I you don't have COVID? Bro, I haven't <laughs> spoken to people and like outside of my wife. <laughs> I know it. Paint. Look, let's just be honest. Just, Your wife doesn't listen to the show this far in. Oh hell no. Do, do you do you really hate being home this much? Like you just want to be out and about. Oh, I love being out. I love seeing people, but um, just. Oh, my wife's pregnant. Got a baby at home. Oh, she's like eight months pregnant. Oh, she's ten months pregnant. Baby's about to come out like in a few weeks. Wow, Matt, Matt's not checking out there, but I'm gonna let it go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just gonna. gonna I'm, obviously, nine months. Okay. <laughs> Do we have to explain to you how babies are made? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have one. The good news is, is by the time the baby comes out, there's still inflation because uh, we just have these. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, inflation's yeah. not coming down with it. And the yeah, rates, yeah. rates won't be cut. Yeah, rates won't be cut. So. Yeah, even if it's nine more months. Uh, well, look, I'm glad that she's okay. I mean, you had a lot. That, that was the one thing I didn't talk to you about, but I was worried the most about is like, you oh, know, yeah, absolutely. You got all these sick people around you. All everybody had COVID, but your wife's like nine months pregnant, or in your case, ten. Yeah. Dude, it was crazy. She got COVID four weeks ago, and then didn't oh have shit, COVID. really? So she got COVID twice in a matter of a month. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Chris, so, is, Chris is doing the math in his head right now. He's like, wait, I saw Odun yeah, I'm like, four weeks ago. <laughs> maybe what I had was COVID. I didn't know. No, yeah. My wife tests me if I sneeze. Yeah. It's terrible. But all right. Well, I'm glad everybody's okay. That, that's all I care about. And it seems like everybody's coming coming back pretty strong. Right. So. Um, the other really good feature about this and um, part of the reason why it's really going to become very dominant in this space uh, quickly is it's supposed to replace you know some of the ACH features the automated clearinghouse features mm -hmm. that banks currently adopt. See, my problem with ACH features is that if you're a bank, mm -hmm. you get notified by somebody reaching into your your bank and pulling money out. Right. Versus a wire is somebody comes to you and you're sending money out. Right. Right? So in a lot of ways, the ACH system, because of the delays, it really blindsides banks too. Yeah. Oh, because, because someone's reaching in and pulling out from another institution that's pulling it out, right? It's they, don't have to they have to notify the bank though. Right. Yeah. So think of it this way: if ACH I'm wiring, for automated if, clearing if, house. yeah, if I'm wiring you money, mm -hmm. I go to my bank and I say, "Hey, bank, send Saeed the money." Right. If you're ACHing the money into an account, you go. Saeed goes into his bank and says, "Hey, go get the money from the other bank." Yes. And that's how you get notified. And granted, you know, it's not a big deal. The it's other, the other, the other bank has something on record saying that I can, I'm allowed to do that. And then you reach in effectively and grab that money out. Right. And so right now, you know, typically speaking, on average, those um, the cost associated with those ACH payments is approximately like a dollar, right? Yeah. For for some institutions, this is going to cost like four cents. Yeah, I mean, when per, you think about, per transfer. When you so, think about it, 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 there's no reason why it should cost so much. This is our system has been so outdated. Yeah. This is such a general ledger simple thing that it should have happened a long and time. And don't ago. think of it. Don't think of like the ACH as like a one time transfer thing. No, people are using that for like payrolls. Mm -hmm. Right, so for entire payrolls, if it's if it's happening, yeah, one dollar every month for all your employees can start to add up compared to your four cents. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits in the system. There's a lot of drawbacks. I I don't know that it's going to make as big of a splash or sensation. Not yet, but eventually. Event see, eventually, yeah, I could definitely look, see it taking the monetary system needs to be upgraded anyway. So a little outdated. Yeah, a little outdated.
Mm-hmm. Moving on, I think one of the, my most favorite articles I've read last week mm-hmm. from Market Watch. Here are ten reasons why Wall Street's inevitable recession never arrived. Mm. But I'm going to go ahead and put a little asterisk here, and I'm going to say never seems entirely too committed. Yeah, we're hasn't arrived yet, guys. Hasn't arrived yet, and let's not forget we talked about it. I think two episodes ago. The inverted yield curve. We won't dive into explaining what that is again for the hundredth time. But ten year treasury treasuries are lower in price than the two year treasuries. Right. Essentially, right? Costs yeah. it costs more to borrow for less time than for longer time. Right? So um when those when that yield curve is inverted, typically speaking, when it signals a recession is coming, and that could be anywhere between six to twenty four months away. All right. And I believe, let's see, I have it here when it actually inverted. It inverted in March of 2022. Mm. So we have until March of 2024, according to that standard, that hasn't been broken since 1950. Yeah, but here's a big, here's a big pause for something people to think about. And I had this conversation recently with somebody else. And we even fall victim to this ourselves. We constantly talk about stuff on the show where we're citing back historical events and saying hey look underwriter by nature this is what's happened historically this is what we could expect moving forward right except we just came through a very unique unprecedented prosperous economy unprecedented you know pumping of money into the economy and we have a uh, an audio clip we'll play later on in the show where you have somebody much smarter than me talking about how he sees a recession's potential based on all the money we pumped in the economy and mm-hmm. what Americans did with that money. Mm-hmm. But the long and short of it is this. Sometimes the lagging indicators will lag longer if there was more of a lead-up to it. Mm-hmm. And we've had the longest lead-up we've seen in history. I read an interesting article, which I didn't put in the show notes, so I thought it was a little bit too complex and kind of convoluted. But it basically suggested, on a very, very simple basis, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot, that over time... Recessionary economies and prosperous economies have generally gotten longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if that's the case, I'm afraid because that means this prosperous economy of 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation, all the things that we did, right. the cycle would lead into not a short recession, but a much longer one than we've had before. A deeper one, right. And that that's what scares me. I don't know if there's any truth to that. Right. Being a reality, but again, unprecedented beginnings have unprecedented endings. You know, right. so it, it, it's scary. You want to you want to count us down from one to ten? Yeah, let's go. So f- the first reason that the article uh, cited was monetary policy isn't that tight, right? Well, it has been for it has been for the banking sector, that's for sure. Um, as of right now, I think by the time this episode gets released. The Fed will have already had their meeting, or no, it'll be the, the beginning of their meeting. Um, but you can already bake in another 25 basis points, so there's still room for them to tighten, they believe. I'm not going to call this one. I think there's an, there's a number of people out there that think that they shouldn't do it, and they should look at the, the factors. Bloomberg, Chicago Mercantile, everybody has it as a lock for 25 basis points. I get that. Yeah. I I would hope they would pause for longer and make that decision with more data. That's my only hope. Yeah, I would too. And that that I, I think we've agreed on the show before that mm-hmm. that's the approach. The wait and see approach shouldn't just be for one month. No. Right? Um, this has clearly been predetermined. But we're going we're gonna to get an open Fed meeting, so we're going to have to listen in. And 
make fun of you know Neil Kashkar and his crayons. Yeah, and really make sure that these Fed minutes are reported accurately. Yeah, but I guess I I I still believe that this is going to be the the last rate hike. That they're signaling right, that the the job boning going around them signaling two more rate hikes is just them speaking just to lower consumer sentiment, right? Consumer sentiment's not going to go down until they see something. Until they see something break? Yeah. Right. That's how consumers are. So, number two. Number two on the list is fiscal spending boosts growth. So, when you pump in, you know, $2.3 trillion? Yes. Trillion. Trillions of dollars in the economy, people buy stuff with it. Mm -hmm. And that continued spending, although we've seen the reserves taper down uh, pretty dramatically over the last year or two. People are still spending a lot, and that fiscal spending, 70% of GDP is consumption, which yes. is consumer spending. Right. Uh, next on the list, household debt is still manageable. See, I didn't agree with this one. I thought it's manageable if interest rates are low. Mm -hmm. It's manageable if student loan debt is on hold. I think, I, I think what they're trying to signal here is that people are, have been able to stay afloat whether that means you're adding to your credit card debt or not, right? Like, just, yeah, it's manageable if you continue to add on more debt, but I wouldn't really consider that manageable. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like the statement. I get, I get what they're trying to say, that, that they're, they're not seeing the cracks yet, but I would say you have to see the runoff of the savings before you see the cracks. Right, right. But, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Keep it going. Number four, consumers and businesses didn't borrow to excess. Wow, yeah. Um, they're talking about the business cycles. I get it. And they didn't need, or maybe I think they're saying they didn't need to because of the, the stimulus packages that were, that were sent out, right? Yeah, well, again, I don't know that, that this is going to be a credit default cycle. Mm -hmm. I think this is going to be a very different recessionary economy if it is one. Well, people don't tend to borrow money when they don't need it. They, they go to look to borrow money when they need it, and now when they go to when they need it, they're not going to be able to get it. Yeah, right. Which leads us into number five: feared credit crunch never arrived. Never arrived. Sorry. Um, okay. It is also never arrived. Yeah. Oh yeah. But okay, this has remained to be seen. Yeah. And this that, is our issue with the title of this article. Mm -hmm. Right? Is okay. Hold on. We haven't finished the tightening cycle yet. We know the terminal rate hasn't reached its end mark. Mm -hmm. So once that happens and then you see banks still not lending, that's when you've reached your credit crunch. Yeah, I think this is called way too early. I, I, you haven't seen a credit crunch yet in the traditional sense of additional defaults and reserves and people tightening up because they're afraid to lend. Right. You're seeing people say, I just don't want to put out money right now because mm -hmm. right now it doesn't make economic sense. Right. So very different in my mind. But Very, yeah. very different in my mind. And when this does happen... There's no way um, small to medium-sized businesses can survive because a lot of them operate and they really um, rely on these lines of credit to keep them afloat, Yep. right? And when those lines of credits don't get renewed because their businesses are no longer cash flowing, what happens? They cry. Do they? So what happens, what happens to a business that has a line of credit with a balance, mm -hmm. right, that doesn't get renewed, what's going to happen to them? Generally speaking, if you're not in adverse credit or classified, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, your lender will come to you and say, hey, look, you know what? You haven't met your loan covenants. Your 
promises to perform, in some cases negative or positive covenants, I will keep balances of X or I will not do Y, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll say, you've got this many days to exit the institution. Or they could be very hyper-aggressive and you say, pay hey. pay off, pay down your balance completely? Find another lender to take you out. Good luck. Yeah. That might have to be private equity. Uh, it could be a hard money lender. It could yeah. be you have cash on hand, but it's not, it's not the highest and best use of your cash. You know, right. it, it could be a lot of different things. It depends on what kind of line of credit it is. Is it secured by something? Right. Is it secured by accounts receivable, AR? Mm -hmm. Is there any way you can speed up that cycle? Is it your season? Is it off season for you? Mm -hmm. Why are you not paying it down? I mean, there's a lot of questions to ask there, but right. The, and long and short of it is this: is that you're going to see a lot of this transition around, mm -hmm. but you're also going to see. A kind of a big pause in the market right now. Mm -hmm. The same reason why you're not seeing M&A activity, mergers and acquisitions. Everybody's waiting for what drops first. Yeah. Everybody's waiting for other people to fail because if you're a failing business, mm -hmm. you're trying to stay afloat. And if you try to sell your business now, people are going to buy you. Right. Or they can wait till you fail and they can buy you at a lot less. Right. And that's what people are waiting for right now. They're waiting to see... Are, have we troughed out on, on some of these industries and some of these businesses to where now is the best opportunity to buy? Or do they fail and I get an even better opportunity to buy? Right. And keep in mind what rates are at these days, you got to be really, really thoughtful about how you place your money because when rates are higher, you can't be as fast and loose as you were when rates were super low. When the cost of funds was cheap, wasn't a big deal. Right. When cost of funds are expensive as it is now, when you got like an 8 or 9% rate on your business stuff, you got to think about where you put your money. Absolutely. Uh, next, tight labor market boosts growth. Mm, we've all called BS in the labor market. Come on now. <laughs> it can't be, right? I've called BS. I mean, what they're, what they're referencing here is the JOLTS job opening labor turnover survey. That's still reporting, I think, just shy of uh, 10 million openings. Yeah, it's, it's a report I like to call bullshit. Yeah, JOLTS. We hate That's the JOLTS. That's the bullshit report. We hate the JOLTS report. And the yeah. jobs report. Um, recently ticked down the overall unemployment figure to 3.6%. Here's what bothers me, is so many of these reports are revised afterward, too. Yes. And they're always revised up. They're always revised or down, right. They're almost always revised up. Yeah. They're, they're rarely revised down. It's almost always like, oh, shit. Instead of giving you like a 2% you know, like GDP, it was like 14. Right, but the jobs report will revise the number of jobs added down, right? So yeah. also negative, yeah. negatively well, revised. Negative for the impact here. Yeah. Right, exactly. Anyway. So next, uh, post-pandemic world is still a mystery. Valid point. I think one that you referenced Unprecedented, baby. Yeah. yeah. Unprecedented events, beginnings have unprecedented endings, mm -hmm. which sounds all sophisticated and financy, but I really got it from a Netflix show. Which one? Come on now. Nothing? Nothing. I'm not, I'm not hip to Netflix shows. It wasn't Netflix. It was HBO. <laughs> what the hell? That's a retrade. I know. What? Succession? Mm, no. Arun, do you know? Baller? No, sci-fi. Come on, guys. Say it again. Um, you know what? I'm blanking on the name. Son of a bitch. Pinky Blinders? No, no. Westworld. Thank you. I got Westworld. Oh, I, we never, I never watched season two. Season one was great. Season two, meh. Season three, and then it went off the rails. Yeah, Saeed and I watched season one together, and then we started season two. We got halfway through the first episode, and we're like, what the? Yeah. yeah season, season two was, was not terrible once you got into it. Season three went off the rails pretty hard. And then season four was like, what the shit just happened? Yeah. Yeah. Was... My wife's trying to get me to watch Grey's Anatomy. Nope. Mm. That's a lot. Uh, how, many, how many seasons are there? Dude, I, I, that's the like first question 22? I asked her. Like 19, bro. Yeah, pass. What the hell? Like, I mean, I it must. I can't hold on. It that. must be a good show, though. Right? 
No, 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 man. Mm. You watched it? If there's 19 seasons, it's not that good of a show. I'm not going to lie. I watched the first two episodes. I was like, okay, I, I kind of get it. Acting was a little sus. But, but it, it's the drama, though. It's just like it's constant drama. After a That's while, what I said. After I, a while, it becomes a soap opera. I looked at, I looked at her, and the first two episodes, drama <coughs> packed. And I'm like, is every episode like this? Because I'm yeah. not going to lie. My heart is racing right now. I don't now. have time for all that. <laughs> yeah. I want, like, I want to know there's an ending. Yeah. Like four seasons out, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything more than that? Like, I never watched Game of Thrones and all that stuff. What? Too much. Wait, never? Ne- never. Shame. 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 Are you guys shaming me now? Shame. Really? If you watch oh, the show, oh, you, you don't would get know. the reference? <laughs> yeah. If you would watch the show, oh, you would know. This guy. <laughs> is, that, is that a thing? That's a thing on they, the show. They yeah. walk around and say shame? I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's shameful that you watched it. <laughs> shameful that, are you kidding me? I, I'd be, I heard there was a lot of like weird sexual stuff that going on too. Like, yeah, but back, yeah, but they're, they're also alluding to back in those times, like that kind of shit happened. Oh, so it's okay if it's porn themed in the nineteen hundreds, bro? Tell me why. There's also 1900s? another show that there's another show I, that I've never watched the show. What, 1800, what is it? I have no idea the time frame. Odin, can you look that up, please? Yeah, but uh, I'm not gonna lie. Fictional? Listen, so I'm completely against these types of TV shows. Right? What, porn if, or? No, yeah, porn too. But um, you're the one that watches Adam 22. That's not porn, bro. That's por- a- Adam 22 is not porn? His YouTube stuff is not porn. It's the first half of the show. <laughs> what is it based on? What time frame? Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, like 10,000 BC to 6,000 BC. Yep. So ni- 1900s. Okay, got it. <laughs> there were no locomotives. But I'll <laughs> say, what I'll say about that show is the character development was something out of this like I felt connect I've never hated a character so much. Not even Rune. Not not even yeah that I mean he's a character. I don't I haven't, I haven't hated him. Not that even much. me. No, not you. Ooh, longer pause and that seemed real. Fuck I, had, you. I had to think about that it. That seemed real. That seemed real. <laughs> I had to think about <laughs> that, that, it. He's like, oh shit, we live. That's yeah. like, oh, that seemed very. I can't real. tell you my real answer. I'm very offended right yeah. now. Yes, All right, next one. Uh, the economy experiences a rolling recession, something that you called long time ago. I did, yeah, because that, that's what I think it's going to still be. What is, so explain explain that, that theory again. Instead of a recessionary economy, like everybody's in a recession, you're going to see different sectors impacted at different times as it rolls through. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, now you're seeing it in the finance and banking sectors. It, start, it really started off, you want to get kind of micro instead of macro. Mm-hmm. It really started off in the mortgage and lending sector. Mm-hmm. Rolled into the finance sector, rolled into the banking sector, and then technology as well. But it hasn't hit other sectors. Travel. Right. Right? Airline, hospitality. Right. It really hasn't hit those sectors yet. Still adding jobs, apparently, according to the jobs report. Which is stunning. But, yeah. Yeah. So, I think think the services sector is probably going to be much more impacted as time goes by. But the goods sector has been impacted harder in some ways. The services sector will definitely be impacted more as time goes by because we know based on what Jerome Powell and the FOMC members have all said like in their minutes is that that's what they're primarily targeting. They already know that the shelter component is coming down. It's proven to be coming down little by little um, over, over every single month. So that's on its way down just very slowly. And they understand that there's a huge lag. But the services component, which impacts jobs and unemployment uh, or employment, that is what they're really targeting because that will ultimately bring wages down, which will bring demand down and ultimately impact the overall figure. Yeah. Right? Uh, last, I think this is the last one. A services sector is more resilient. And this one I thought was a little uh, contradictory. 
I don't feel like this made their point. I didn't really understand. It didn't make their point, but huh? I think I think I didn't. It did not make their point. It did not make their point because what they're referencing here is a report that we actually have never really covered on the show, but it is a good indicator uh, for a recession. It's the U.S. Institute of Supply Management, right? This report um, is a forward-looking indicator that surveys purchasing managers' opinions on new orders, production levels. Not a fan. Not a fan, but it does. So if you look at it. Month over month, this thing has been going down. The ISM Manufacturing Sector Survey for June, this coming from the article from MarketWatch, um, came in at the weakest level since May 2020. It dipped to 46%. That It's the weakest level. It's I mean, that's a bad sign. Yeah, well, and I also don't like anything. Like the Mortgage Bankers Association has like a broker survey. opinion survey kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, senior, lo- senior loan officer. Yeah, I don't like any of those. Yeah. I but, don't like those. Okay. Oh, there is, a, there is another one. There is um. The periods of expansion are growing longer. Oh, I mean, and what you alluded what to. What I alluded to, yeah. So if you look, actually, let's look at that chart there, Rune. I think that's probably worthwhile to look at. That one right there, very much. Figure 25 from this article, economic expansions have grown longer. This is not the one that article I was referring to before, but if you look, 19, uh, 1854 to 1919, 2.2 was the average length of the economic expansion in years. Mm. 1919 to 1982 was 3.4 years of average length of economic expansion. Right. 1982 to present, 8.6. You went from 2.2, 3.4 to 8.6. And I mean, is the next one going to be 14? Right, and that's the argument, right? I mean, we just went through 14 years, mm-hmm. so higher than the average. So there you so go. So you had some home builder sentiment stuff you want to talk about, right? Or no, wanna, it's just jump into the I just think that uh, right now, um, the fact I was I thought it was really interesting that the home builder sentiment was still up. And it wasn't quite down yet. I know rates rates tick down a little bit. This from CNBC: Home builder sentiment rises again in July, but builders warn higher mortgage rates are hurting. This week, although this this article came out on the 18th, looks like, but as of today, rates tick down a little bit. Uh, builder sentiment: The market for single-family homes rose one point in July to 56. I think anything above 50 is considered a positive sentiment, according to the National Association of Home Builders Wells Fargo Housing Market Index. So I thought this would be actually a good article to tap first before we went into the, I think it was CNBC audio you wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Because he talked about Americans owning assets. Oh, yeah. Which really is the largest asset for most people in the United States is going to be their home. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So you would think that the home builder sentiment should be indicative or at least in parallel with people and their assets and the economy and what they're buying. Well, as of right now, the only things. The only thing that's going to really help out this real estate market is getting more inventory on the market. Right now, the the lack of supply in that market is what's "quote unquote" driving the demand. Even though sh- shit is unaffordable, so the only thing shit is unaffordable. Is that a technical term? It is the technical term on the higher standard. Shit is unaffordable. Yeah, sounds um, like a great shirt. <laughs> shit is, is unaffordable. <laughs> that is a good shirt. Yeah. You boys. Yeah. <laughs> Um and Merch coming soon. Yeah. Um yeah, speaking of which, the one Odun brought to the studio tonight, we're gonna we're not gonna say what exactly what it is, but I thought it was a really good idea. It was a great shirt. Great shirt. Just a little toit. You a little tight on you. I mean uh, you boy I didn't even try mine on because it was, on, it's I bul- it was uh, cause. It's, it's summer, but I'm I'm treating it like bulk season. It actually didn't look bad. It just yeah. looked very fitted and you don't wear fitted shirts. I don't wear fitted shirts. Yeah, yeah it's not really my thing. It, I don't like to show off the goods, you know. Noted. <laughs> Noted. Yeah. So if if anything, home builders are really the only thing right now that could potentially add supply onto the market in 
in 2000, that 2008, 2010 market, they added over 2 million homes on the market because of foreclosures, which brought prices down, mm-hmm. right? Right now, the projections are only 100,000 uh, home foreclosures by the end of the year. That's not enough. To, that's not enough to move anything. I worry. I worry a lot about what if the realtors, the home builders, and the people who want to say that home values are going to stay up because there is a shortage of supply. Mm-hmm. What if they're right? That scares me more. Well, it's so unaffordable. We covered it on, on last on last uh, the last episode. The affordability issue is such a huge problem. Yeah. What what happens mm-hmm. if you're a kid trying to get out of your parents' house? Mm-hmm. Unless your parents have the financial wherewithal to to help you out. I mean, you're not. You can't stay in California. That's for sure. I mean, and that's the other problem is you're just going to have some states where you just know you can't live. Yeah. I had somebody stop me today in the hallway and talk to me, mm. and she said to me. I can't afford to live in this state anymore. I've got to consider my options. And as we started talking, I started thinking through like her logic mm-hmm. in my head. And I'm like, it's, she probably can't. Right. That's fucking terrible. Because what happens in a state where your working class can't afford to buy a home? Yeah. What is, we've what never is your, seen, we've what never is, seen that before. What does your wealthy mm-hmm. quality of life look like when you don't have that working class? in your community because they just can't afford to be there. Right. And this is not like New York where it's such a dense population all cohabitating. Right. People have to drive to Riverside. It was when I when I used to do it, when I was living in Riverside and I had to commute an hour and a half, almost 2 hours each way. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, work from home has made that almost impossible to find people willing to do. Right. And at you got at that time when I was doing it. Look, that was that was our only option, um, and that was the sacrifice that I was making so that you know my son. Uh, we only had my son at the time could grow up in a house, and we had the space that they needed. And I would I was willing to make that sacrifice, but the exchange for that was I was seeing my son, dude, for like thirty minutes a day. Some nights, not at all. And I think back at those times, and it's like it breaks my heart. I, I was I was sending my wife videos today. Of videos of Adam that she had recorded and sent to me, and that I missed out on. And I was like, "Man, I can't believe I missed out on all that." Yeah, you know. But look, I don't, I, I don't know if I would change. I don't know if I would change anything because of where where we are today. But I can't say that I look back at that time as something positive. Oh wow! Yeah, thought you enjoyed spending time with me. Yeah, you weren't around, bro. <laughs> wow. What do you mean? I mean, I wasn't around behind closed door meetings. I would have come by and be like, hey, man, you want to talk? I had a window. You can wave. <laughs> you can wave. <laughs> you sent me out in the hall. You're like, go ahead. Fuck out of here. <laughs> from CNBC, Arun is going to play a YouTube clip from their television channel. Mm-hmm. It's only a small clip. But uh, the Apollo CEO says we're going to have a non-recession. Recession. Mm-hmm. Reset, not a recession. Recession. Yeah. Interesting uh, title, but his statements actually kind of resonated with me. I hadn't really thought about it with his perspective. I don't know if he's wrong or right, but it certainly is an interesting perspective. Arun, if you could hit me, baby, one more time. Going to have a non-recession recession. Which means what? So think about what happened over since 2008. We printed $8 trillion. Exactly what we thought was going to happen, happened. Everything went up. Stocks went up. Bonds went up. Real estate went up. Infrastructure went up. Cars went up. Wine went up. You name it, it went up. 
So guess what? We're removing that stimulus and assets, asset prices are coming down. Some of it came down in 22, some of it's come down a little in 23, more to come. We in the financial markets who benefit and live in an asset world, we're gonna feel like we had a real recession. Rates went up, going up as much as they have, we're gonna feel it. But is most of the country going to feel like there's a recession? Most of our country does not own assets in any significant way. Three and a half percent unemployment, job creation still happening, wage gains last month. Even if we have a recession in formal name, I doubt we're going to have the kind of recession that we've thought of historically with massive shifts in unemployment. I think we're having a non-recession recession. I think we're going to have a non-recession recession. It's hard to argue with that logic. So I mean, look, think about what I happened over since 2008. Really we printed eight trillion. I just just stop making up shit, people. Just say it's not going to be like it was before. So many brilliant economists, like smart people, keep making up shit. And I get it. It gets in the new news. It gets in the media, and like headlines get out there. Mm -hmm. And then whoever says you know whatever, yeah, yeah slow session, non-recession recessions. I mean, all this this like vernacular for just it's going to be a recession, right? Of a different way than you're you're thinking. That's right. what they're trying to say. Yeah, that's all they're trying to say. And it's like, why Why are we make? don't make recession sexy, bro. <laughs> exactly. It's true. Like, just why, say we're going to have a different kind of recession. Why are we putting lipstick on a pig? Like, why are we trying to confuse everybody? Yeah. We're going to have a recession. That's yeah. it. That's it. Just it. That's, That's it. That's why I love them. Yeah. I mean, Noriel Rabini ain't playing. Yeah. He's a recession. Yeah. Just great. Slow, fast. It's a recession. Yeah. What's it to you? Exactly. Big, small. It's all recession. Yeah, love it. No him. one cares how big it is. That's, I mean, some people it care. It is recession. Some people care how big it is. No, it is recession. You take it, that's it. That's it. Take it and go. Now go to the hot tub. <laughs> yeah, you said you had some personal stuff you want to get in. Do you have time? We have a little bit of time. I think a little bit of time. So I had uh, a, a meeting with uh, Mark Sandy. The, the Mark Zandi, come on now, chief economist, uh, Moody Moody's, Analytics, Moody's Analytics, and top one percent podcast. Uh, he is, yeah, yeah. I looked it up. Just like us, mm -hmm. just like us. Actually, the writing is just like ours. Yeah, I saw. Uh, that being said, I got to tell you, I, I don't get. I've listened to a show, mm -hmm. and I understand that he's he's got a very corporate clientele, and you got to have a more corporate show. He's incredibly more personal in person, like he, personable in person. Yeah. I don't, I don't like if that personality came through on his show, it would be way better than ours. I mean, it, well, I mean, there is me. <laughs> wow. And you. Okay. But there is a rune. I think he makes a show. He does. Yeah. Rune. Thank you guys. We missed you so much. We really did. In any I event, feel, I feel like that review that person left has really turned Chris. Like, D Neil, I, I barely remember the review. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. D 72? He went on a little rant. He <laughs> dropped us from 5.0 to 4.9. I saw. Yeah. But now, you know what it is? It makes us legitimate. I'm gonna All the legitimate podcasts don't have 5.0 ratings. So, you know what, Daniel? Thanks for the hookup. I'm going to walk by somebody one day. He's going to be like, hey, my name's uh, Douglas Neal. <laughs> oh. And I'm going to be like, your name's what? <laughs> exactly. Or like, my name's Devin Neal. Your name's what? Yeah. Say it again. Say it with your chest. I want to see your Apple Podcast review account right now. Right now, yeah. What's your username, bitch? Who you subscribe to? Yeah. Who do you follow? Yeah. Which reminds me, right now, if you haven't subscribed to our show, whether that's on Apple or Spotify, please go ahead and do so. It really helps out the show. This is what we do it for, the honest five-star reviews. Leave us a review while you're there. And we also got a YouTube channel. Subscribe, like, hit the bell notification, do all the fancy stuff.
Damn, that was really yeah, good. Was pretty good. Yeah, that was really good. Was really good. Yeah. 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 All right. Cool. I, I, I was gonna go on more, but I feel like that's a that's a great exit. That's a great. That's it. I mean, you met Mark. You don't even want to talk about it. I mean, he was really personable and nothing else. No, nah, there's gonna be some more coming on that teaser I, for next episode. Yeah, there'll be more coming on that. I think. Um, I think he's a guy I could very much like. He said I reminded him of his brother. Do you know his brother? No, but uh, I asked him if his brother had a hair transplant too. <laughs> so what, if, what if he says? Back. What if he says I don't? I don't speak to my brother anymore. What if his brother's fat? <laughs> yeah, I mean you are the big guy. You know, honestly, Arun. After what D. Neal said, I'm not even allowed to acknowledge that statement. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and ignore you, and uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and respond to you, Said. If he doesn't like his brother, that's unfortunate. But I hope to rekindle the love. Oh, okay. See? I'm yeah. I'm cerebellum right now. Honestly, you're, you're too soft for me to continue on with the show. Let's call it. Good night, everybody. I'm afraid of, of more like hate. Bye. Come on, say it. I said your thing. Arun, why don't you say bye? Nah. Come on. High pitch. Let's go. Dig in deep. Give bye. Deep. Ooh. Yeah, I told yeah, you. Yeah, I told yeah. you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>